0: All right, again, thank you so much for being here. Truly appreciate it. Today is Vision Sunday, and uh, this is our opportunity just to lay out the vision for Bible Baptist Church and the direction that we want to go. And I hope you'll jump on board and uh, just come along with us. We are so excited about the opportunities that the Lord presents us with. And uh, so often we can get this sidetracked, but uh, again, today's is bringing a, about bringing the focus back and uh, having a vision moving forward. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. We'll get started this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given us. Father, we're so grateful for everything that you do for us. Father, we're so grateful uh, to uh, continue to be able to come to church and spend time together and love each other. And Father, I just pray that we would continue to do so. And Father, as we look at Your Word today, I pray that You would help us to continue to look out and, and look at people and see people for who they are. Father, we thank so thankful for uh, this this time, and I pray that it will be used for Your honor and for Your glory. Thank You for dying on the cross for our sins. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, it's been a difficult couple of weeks, from what I hear. Um, lots of people sick. Lots of people going through different things, and let's be honest, it's been a difficult last couple of years, hasn't it? It's been a frustrating. If anything, it's been if it's been frustrating. It's been uh, hard times. Um, in one way or another, life looks different, much different than it did two years ago. You ever notice that? <laughs> if you haven't noticed that, you've buried your head under a rock. Okay, um, it's just it's just different. And, and I'll be honest with you, it's hard for me to quantify feelings. Um, I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm not a super emotional person. I can't get emotional, but it's hard for me to quantify feelings, and, but the reality is we all have feelings, and we all have emotions. Um, and here's the problem, especially, hopefully you've noticed this over the last two years, uh, they're constantly fluctuating, feelings and emotions, right? Um, I've been probably the happiest I've been in a long time, and I've been at the lowest part of, of my life, I think, in the last two years. My emotions, my feelings are constantly fluctuating. And over the last two years, I can, I can honestly say this, nothing has been constant. Nothing. Things are constantly changing. I, I remember one time the government came out and said, by, the, by such and such a day, this is going to what's going to happen. I said, yeah, right. Not anymore, right? Like, we just everything changes. Nothing's constant. Nothing's the same. Family's not even the same. Friends are not the same. I've lost friends. I've gained friends. Everything's different. Church is not the same. Look around. It's not the same. Nothing's the same. For me, everything's changed, Um, especially my family. Both of my grandmas have passed away in the last month, and that's changed. Um, In fact, now their houses are being sold, and so that's, that's different. Now I won't be able to go back to that house and, and be with them anymore. So listen, everything has changed. It seems that in these last two years that everything has changed. Our emotions, our feelings, and guess what? Even our decisions, constantly changing. Deciding this, deciding that, all things changed. I don't want to depress you this morning. That's not my goal. The vision for Bible Baptist Church is not to depress you The division, the the point today is I want to encourage you. I want to lift you up. So I want to give you, I want to let you know that there are two things that never change. There are two things that never change. Number Number one is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus never changes. Man, I'm so thankful for that. The second thing that never changes is his word. His Word, Psalm chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, tells us that there are pure words as, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. I mean, they are the pure words of God. They will last for eternity. Not a jot nor a tittle will change. So God's Word will never change. Listen, hear me, please. Don't, don't miss this. Okay? Jesus Christ and His Word are the constants. I don't care what goes on in this world. I don't care what goes on in this church. I don't care what goes on anywhere else. I want you to understand that Jesus Christ and His Word are the constants. And guess what? We need to, hear me, we need to hold on to these two things. Hold on to them. Don't let them go. We need to endeavor to constantly keep our focus on these two things. When everything's up in the air when everything's going crazy, it becomes very difficult to not get distracted. Listen, over the last two years, I've been more distracted than I've ever been in my entire life. Two, two reasons, things going on in the world and trying to get out of my mind the things going on in the world. And so I'll sit down and I'll, I, I'm an outdoors person, right? I, so I sit down and I'll watch hunt, hunting videos on YouTube just to get my mind off of what's going on in the world. Both of them are distractions. We're constantly being distracted. It becomes very difficult to know where to land on certain decisions. It becomes very difficult. Everything's fluctuating, so where do I land? Where do I make this decision? How do I make this decision? It becomes very difficult to find our anchor. What, what's anchoring me? What's holding me? It becomes very difficult, but hear me. Jesus is always Jesus is always there, and His Word is always there to guide us. His Word is always ever-present. I hope you spend time in the Word. We, we, we post every week on Facebook uh, a, a, a plan. It's just a chapter a day. It's going to take you three years to get through the Bible, but it doesn't matter. Spend time in the Word of God. Glean from it. Understand it. Constantly allow it to guide you. For the past two years, we've all done our best to hold on. We've heard it from our government just a little bit longer. Hold on. Hold on. We've done our best. We've all done our best to maintain the status quo. Right? Like, that's what we've tried to do. Just hold on and maintain. Just maintain. Just maintain. We've done our best to preserve ourselves, to keep ourselves healthy, to be careful. We've done all of those things, but can I submit to you this morning... That it is possible that in all of these things, we've lost our focus. In all of these things, we've lost our focus. I'll be honest with you, I include myself here. So easy. Now, I know some of you probably just got offended. How dare he say that I just lost my focus? How dare he say that I have been thinking about other things? But please, 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 just hear me out. Hear me out this morning. I want to look at a passage today that will hopefully convict Challenge and most of all, encourage you today. So, if you would, please take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. This is an interesting passage, it's a wonderful passage. This Kind of goes back to, you can see in verse 17, the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us. So Jesus sends out 35 teams of two people, and he sends them out all across the area, and they are to go and heal people and cast out demons. And we spend a lot of time talking about a parallel passage to this one. And he continues down through, and they're very excited about what's going on. Jesus begins to teach. But I want you to see in verse 25, It's the beginning of our story today, the Bible says this, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? Verse 27, and he answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy mind, thy strength and thy mind, excuse me, and thy neighbor as thyself. Verse 28, and he said unto him, thou hast answered right. This do and thou shalt live. Now, this man was a lawyer very easily seen. A certain lawyer stood up, verse 25. This man was a remarkable man. He probably, in in our society, he would have had a lot of letters after his name, right? A lot of of book learning. He knew the law. He understood the law. In fact, at this time, the law was the first five books of the Old Testament, And, and much added to that. So, he knew the law. He knew everything contained therein. He had a great knowledge In in a lot of ways, he had a great earthly wisdom. No doubt this was a well-respected, even an affluent man. He was very wise given. He had a lot going for him. And honestly, in this passage, he's even asking really good questions. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And on top of that, he's even asking the right questions to the right person. And if you have any questions, again, because Jesus doesn't change, go to Jesus. Jesus is the answer. But I want you to notice why he's asking these questions. Why is he asking? Look in verse uh, 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up, watch, and tempted him. Why is he asking these questions? He's simply asking these questions to tempt Jesus. He's trying to back Jesus into a corner. He's trying to put Jesus into a hard place so that Jesus uh, struggles with an answer. So he tempts him. He was testing him. He was uh, not exactly did he have the best motives in this. We we, we would say anybody who asks the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life, is asking good questions. But this man just didn't have the right motives. I want you to notice Jesus' response, though. Jesus' response is simply, you tell me. Look at verse 26. And he said unto him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? You tell me. You know the law. You're a lawyer. You you understand everything in the law. What does the law say? You tell me. How do you inherit eternal life? Answer is pretty simple, verse 27. And he answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Okay, now, we have lots of church people in here, all right? Some of you have grown up in this church. How do you inherit eternal life? Do you inherit eternal life by loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, mind, and strength, and by loving your neighbor as yourself? This is an interesting answer. Very interesting answer. But look at what Jesus' response is in verse 28. And he, being Jesus, said unto him, Thou hast answered right. Interesting. Thou hast answered right right this do and thou shalt live let me give you a little bit of information that jesus tells this man if you want to inherit eternal life the thing that you can do is to love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul strength and to love your neighbor as yourself in fact he tells us a little later upon these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets Jesus himself testifies that that is the way to inherit eternal life. Completely and utterly love the Lord and love your neighbor, and you will have life. Now, immediately, immediately and just as well, this man and you should understand and should realize that there is no human way possible that you can love the Lord your God all the time completely and utterly, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, it's impossible. You know why? Because we live with sin. And you know what? Sometimes I want to do what I want to do. Sometimes I want to be who I want to be. Sometimes I just want to tell that person exactly what's going on in my mind. And so, do I always constantly love God? No. Do I always constantly love my neighbor as myself? Let's be honest, come on. No, don't look at me like that. You're just as guilty as I am. We don't. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you can do this, then you will have eternal life. But he should have realized there's no human way possible. We may be able to love part-time, but not completely. Now look at verse 29. But he, willing to watch, 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 don't miss this, justify himself. Said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? That phrase, justify himself. Anytime you see that in scripture, a red flag should go up immediately. Justify himself. Anyone who tries to, quote, justify himself is in some real danger. Here's the reality. Any one of us can justify or rationalize anything. Listen, people who murder people justify it. They rationalize it. Listen, you can justify murder if you want to. You can justify an adulterous affair if you want to. You can justify abortion if you want to. You can justify anything you want So be very careful with this word, justify yourself. Justify yourself, very dangerous. Given the right set of circumstances, we can justify anything. Instead of this lawyer, listen, hear me, instead of this lawyer realizing, I cannot love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I cannot love my neighbor as myself all the time. Instead of being justified by the mercy of Jesus Christ, he begins to try to justify himself. He should have fallen down on his face and said, I can't do it. Do you realize that was why the law was written? The law was written to show you that you cannot do it, that you cannot make it on your own. And that's why Jesus, the grace of Jesus Christ, has come in, say, you can't, but I can. You can't, but I can. this man should have fallen down on his face and said, oh God, I can't do it. Please help me. Instead of realizing his insufficiency, he seeks to justify himself. Can I submit to you this morning that this is the basis of every problem in life? Justifying yourself is the basis of every problem in life. Listen, if I didn't care and, and I wanted to spout off everything that I believed about you, I would try to justify myself and and, and tell you why I think I should be telling you this. And I would get all over you and rip you up one side and down the other and then justify that. I'm doing this because you, right? That causes problems. Justifying yourself causes problems in your marriage. (laughs) All the time. Well, I didn't mean it that way. That's not what I meant. You can take it that way if you want, but that's not how. Justifying. Justifying yourself. I feel like I can say whatever I want because she did this and she did that. Justification causes problems in in your workplace. Well, this is why I did it and I should not have done it. Constantly justifying. Justification of ourselves causes problems. Seeking to justify ourselves is the basis for every problem of life. And I believe this, it says I can handle it. I have the solutions to all the problems because I understand what's going on. I have all the answers. Can I challenge you and tell you this? That's pride. That's pride. I'm speaking to this morning mostly religious people. Mostly Religious people have a problem with trying to justify themselves. Again, I just offended most of you. Religious people have a problem with trying to justify themselves. Here's why. We know what the Bible says. We we, we come to church every Sunday and hear what the Bible says. So we we know. You don't don't have to tell me that. I know. I've heard this story a thousand times, Pastor Yeomans. I know. We know what the Bible says. Can I put it this? Way? We have enough knowledge to be dangerous. We justify ourselves. We can quote John 3.16. We know it. We can tell you the last time we were in church. We can uh, tell you that we put money in the offering. And here's the thing. We use these things to justify ourselves. No doubt this man, this lawyer, was already calculating in his head. How many things he had done to show his neighbors that he loved them? Well, my neighbor came over the other day and asked for some sugar, and I gave it to him. I love my neighbor. My my, my neighbor's driveway needed shoveling, and she's an elderly lady, and so I decided that I was going to go shovel it for her. And he's already calculating all these things in his head. That's love. Giving them food, water, bread. Maybe he helped them with their donkey the day before. I don't know. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to justify himself. The Moody Bible Commentary makes this statement, and this is interesting. It says this, the lawyer was attempting to, quote, limit the commandment. Why? So as to make it possible for him to obey it sufficiently enough. Don't miss that. The lawyer was trying to take the commandment of God and limit it to make it possible for him to obey it sufficiently enough. Man, that's powerful. Don't miss it because we do the same thing. We do the same thing. This lawyer was trying to justify himself. He's saying, I love my neighbors, all of my close friends, all of my relatives, the people who live beside me, the the people who agree with me. I'm nice to those people. I help them. And so he limits it to those people. We do this all the time. We religious people try to limit the call of God. Why? So it's easier. So it's less burdensome. So it's not as much work. So I don't have to step outside of my comfort zone. See, the call of God on our lives is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So let me ask what do we do to limit that? What do we do to limit loving God and loving our neighbors? Well, let me ask you the same question Who is your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? You, how you answer that question is whether or not you follow the commands of God or if you limit them. Who's your neighbor? Most of us want our neighbor to be our friends. I don't mind helping my friends. I love my friends. They're great. Most of us want our, our neighbor to be our family. Well, there's that one person that, you know, every, every family's got one, but you know what? I sacrifice and I love them because they're my family. Right? We'll put up with that. Most of us want the people who agree with us to be our neighbor. Most of us want people who are nice to us to be our neighbor. Why? Because it's easier to love people who are lovable. Why do you think they make teddy bears cute and cuddly? Why do they not make them ugly and heinous? Because it's easier to love somebody who's lovable. Again, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. It's easier. And so we, just like this lawyer, what do we do? We limit the scope of the God's commandments, and we begin justifying ourselves. And here's, the, here's what happens, is we make ourselves better than what we really are. You might ask, well, why is this such a big deal? Why is it a big deal to limit, to bring down the scope of God's commandments? Listen, this is a major, major deal. I opened this morning with the thought process on the Word of God. Our feelings, our emotions, our decisions are constantly changing, but the Word of God does not change. And so if we change the Word of God with our feelings and change the Word of God with our emotions, what do we do? We bring the commands of God down to our level. It's a dangerous thing to do. And what happens is that means we get to do what we want to do. We get to spout off when we want to spout off. We get to punch a wall if we want to punch a wall. We want to blow by that guy on the 401 because he just ticked me off whenever we want to do that. Here's what happens is we miss out on the intentions of God. We miss out on the intentions of God. We are living in a way that makes sense to us. We are living in a matter that we can justify our feelings and our emotions. Again, please, think in yourself. I have no doubt in my mind that every single one of us, if not in the last two years but before, have justified ourselves in decisions we've made justified ourselves in the things that we have done based on our feelings we hear me we have taken the commands of God and we've lowered them to our level we live based on our emotions we are not living the way that God intended us we are living on our feelings and we're making decisions based on feelings and emotions that are constantly changing what does that do listen it cheapens our life cheapens it it's now worthless it causes frustration hear me it causes depression because as much as we want to justify it listen as much as we want to justify deep down we know that we fall short we know that we're not living the way that god intended us to live we know it hear me i don't want to leave you here i don't want to depress you Jesus calls us to something greater. Jesus calls us to something far better. Jesus, I love this, doesn't give the lawyer a firm answer. Who is my neighbor? I love it. Jesus never answers the way that I think he should. Jesus illustrates with a parable. Then at the end of the parable, he asks an extremely reflective question. So let's go through it. Let's look at that parable. Luke chapter 10 and verse 30. And Jesus, answering, said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him. And they departed, leaving him half dead. Wow. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wombs, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him, verse 35. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pens, and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him. Whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. It's the story of the good Samaritan. The good Samaritan. Now, this is a parable. This didn't really happen. This was just a story that Jesus was giving him. Now, I want you to understand that this man is a Jew walking between Jerusalem and Jericho. We have no idea why. The Bible doesn't tell us why. Maybe he was on business, maybe he was on a leisurely stroll. We have no idea. But this road was a notorious road. In fact, history tells us that it was called the red way or the bloody way. It was notorious. You know that if you're going down this road, you're taking your life into your own hands. You know that if you go down this way, there are thieves and robbers. It's like going down a back alley in Toronto. You better, You're just taking your life in your own hands, right? Maybe even better would be Detroit. <laughs> Good luck. You're, you're taking your life in your own hands. So this man gets completely decimated. I mean, just destroyed. These guys beat him up. They strip him of everything he has. He takes everything, and the Bible is specific in saying left him half dead. Like another half, and you're completely dead, right? You're not in a good position. You're laying there. You might be able to breathe. You might be able to moan every once in a while. Your internal organs are beginning to shut down. You are half dead. This is not a good position. Left for dead. And we know the story, right? A priest, a person who works in the temple, a religious man, comes by and is like, whoa, passes by on the other side. And then a Levite, again, a religious man, a person who worked in the temple, a a person who knows better, comes and looks at him, oh, buddy, that stinks, and again passes by on the other side. Now, we can't handle this. Are you kidding me? How dare they? They should know better. And we get right upset with the priest and the Levite. How could you just leave a guy there? What's wrong with you? They just pass by on the other side. Now, the priest and the Levite would have known the Old Testament laws of mercy. In fact, Leviticus chapter 19, verses 15 to 18, tell give us these laws of mercy, they would have known that they would, should not leave this man there. They would have known that they should love the neighbor as themselves. They would have known this. However, listen, don't miss this though. They would have also known about the defilement of touching something that was unclean. The Bible tells us back in the Old Testament, the laws where if you touch something that is unclean, you are seven days. Let me put it to you in, in common terminology you are seven days in quarantine isn't that interesting seven days that you are going to have to uh, stay aside you're defiled you are unclean so maybe in their mind they're thinking if i help him man i'm unclean for seven days if i do that then i won't be able to work in the temple for a while if I do that, then I won't be able to relax with my family. I'll have to go to a place of quarantine. To be pushed outside of the city, I'll be unclean. Don't miss this. Write this down. Write this down. It became a decision out of convenience instead of compassion. Hear me. Would it have been inconvenient for them to have to quarantine for seven days? Oh, absolutely. But it became a decision out of convenience instead of compassion. Here's the point of the message. I believe that we justify ourselves so that we can maintain our conveniences of life. Instead of seeing people with compassion. We justify ourselves so that we can just continue doing what we want to do, to self-preserve, to self-protect, to do what we want to do. Instead of seeing people with compassion, hear me, it feels like over the last two years and probably before that, that we have lost all compassion. Marvin Williams, a commentator, wrote this. One of the major obstacles to showing compassion is making prejudgments about who we think is worthy of our compassion we make prejudgments we would we would say things like this and maybe the priest and the levite said this man if i if i knew that man then maybe i would help him it'd be worth it well they would maybe say something like this It's his own fault for coming down this road. He should have had some sort of weapon, or he should have done something to protect himself. He's the moron. He made his decision. Now he has to deal with it. And so they turn away. Listen, we, we do the exact same thing. We turn a blind eye to people, and we justify who our neighbor is. Well, they got themselves into that position. They, they did this to themselves. They, they made their bed. Now they have to lie in it. And then we won't look at them. You're in London. You're driving. You're in the left-hand lane, getting ready to turn probably on Wellington, right? And there's a guy there. What do you do? I know what I do. I don't even look at him. I don't even look at him right? Because we have this mindset of, you got yourself in that position, buddy. You shouldn't be asking for money. Hear me. We do this all the time. And what happens is we don't look at them because if we look about, if we look at them, then we have to think about them. And if we think about them, then we will be compelled to do something. If we see somebody without food, we might be compelled to give them some of ours. Listen, I'm I'm hungry. I don't want to give that person food. If we see someone without clothes, we might be compelled to give them our coat. Hear me. If we think about their sin, we might be compelled to preach the gospel to them. Well, I would never want to do that. So what do we do? We turn away. We walk on the other side. And we think ah, I don't have time for that. Oh, I can't do that. And we begin. Listen, this is what happens. It erodes over time. Before long, we're not looking at anybody else but our friends and our family and the people who agree with us and the people who act like us. We become, hear me, so interior focused, internally focused, that we no longer see the needs of people around us and we miss opportunity, opportunity, after opportunity, after opportunity. I want to give you the theme of Bible Baptist Church this morning. The theme of Bible Baptist this year is reaching out. Reaching out. Reaching out. Please don't miss this. We do not want to be an internally focused church at all. Listen, and I'm just going to be honest. Over the last two years, I've been internal. I've been looking at myself, trying to figure out what I'm going to do, what, I'm, what decisions I'm going to make, what, what decisions we're going to make for the church, what this, that, and the other thing, trying to figure everything out internally focused. And I think we've missed the point. We don't want to try to justify ourselves. This year, we want to reach out to people around us. Please hear me. Please hear me. We want to reach out to people around us. Hear me. Regardless of their status. Regardless of their beliefs. Regardless of their condition. Regardless of their ethnicity. Regardless of their sex. Listen, we want to reach out. There are people all around us everywhere, sitting next to you in the pew, outside of this building, that need, need, need help. There are people all around us that need help. Let me say it again. There are people all around us that need help. Everywhere. We want to reach out. We want to reach out to them. We want to get outside of ourselves and quit thinking about ourselves and our our conveniences and whether or not we're going to have to quarantine for seven days or ten days or whatever it is now. Like I, I, that, this is not the, the word of God is written for a particular purpose. For a, I mean, listen, it transcends time. We're two thousand years. And this still applies to us. Please reach out. I have two goals. Two goals in reaching out. Number one, to become less pious. You say, what does pious mean? To be less concerned with our religious intricacies. To be less concerned with our religious intricacies. These men were religious. They knew what the laws were, and they began to battle, okay, which one do I choose? Do I choose the battle of, of being unclean and, and merciful, or do I choose to be clean and unmerciful? We begin to justify ourselves. So, listen, listen. every time we should choose to love our neighbor. Every time. We... We should choose to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. And if we get that right, if we get this relationship right, this relationship will be right. And that's the biggest concern I have. This relationship is often not right, and so it makes me wonder what our relationship this way is. And I'm putting myself in the same position. The second goal is this, to simply become more passionate, compassionate. To simply become more compassionate. To not view people as this camp or that camp, but to view them as God views them. To love people as God loves them. And you might be asking yourself this question, like, oh, how are we going to do that? I have all these biases, I I have all of these things in my heart, I just can't get rid of them, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I've been hurt, all of these different things. How are we going to do that? The parable teaches us a lesson. So let's look at it again. By chance, verse 31, there came down a certain priest that way and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. When we read this story, most people will often put themselves in one of three places. We try to put ourselves and apply this story by putting ourselves in the place of one of the three potential rescuers of the story. We view the people outside of our church or some other Christians we know, we view everyone else outside as someone who needs help, which is fine. But we begin to wonder, am I the priest? You know, do I care more about religious things? Am I the Levite who looks at it but, you know, just doesn't do anything about it? We begin to ask ourselves these questions. Do we think of ourselves as someone with a lot of religion and social status? Do we think of ourselves as above everyone else because we have the great privilege to be a part of a church, or we have great privilege of knowing God? How do we think about ourselves? We ask ourselves a question, I think it's a good question to ask, would we care more about our religious convenience than compassionately caring for someone's needs? We begin asking ourselves. So we try to place ourselves in one of these. A lot of us are like, man, I want to be the good Samaritan. Man, I want to be that person who just comes alongside and helps and doesn't care about anything. We really haven't talked about the good Samaritan much. But I want you to understand, the good Samaritan is the main character of the story. It's called the good Samaritan. The good Samaritan is the main character of the story. Look at verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Watch what else he did, and went to him, went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him, and On the morrow when he departed, he took out two pens and gave to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more. I'll come again. Here's some money, and if you need any more, I'll come back and give you some more. Man, this is an awesome story. And Listen, every preacher wants everybody to be the good Samaritan. We do. What's the point? This is the point of the story, isn't it? No, it's not actually. We missed the point Of the story. Hear me. The good Samaritan was so kind, so gentle, did not let status, did not let hatred get in the way of the right actions. And we all want to be him. We all want to say, yeah, that's me. That's who I am. But hear me. None of the potential rescuers are you or I. None of them. The priest is not you or I. The Levite is not you or I. And the good Samaritan can never be you or I. See, what's the point of the story? The only character in this story that we can relate to is the man lying on the side of the road. Stripped, beaten to a pulp, and left for dead. See, there's no justification of ourselves over there. We have nothing to offer anyone. We have nothing. We are nothing. And hear me. Religion refuses to help us. We will only be helped by the Good Samaritan, Jesus Christ. The point of the story is not who are we. Do we get to be the Savior? Uh uh uh. There's only one Good Samaritan. It's Jesus Christ. You see, what happened is Jesus Christ was willing to sacrifice. Look, and he went to him. Jesus came to us. Jesus didn't care. Listen, the Samaritans and the Jews, they hated each other. They had nothing to do with one another. They did not want to have anything to do with one another. They were enemies. And listen, we in our sin, beaten, bruised, completely stripped, dead in our sins, Jesus, holy. Almighty God looked down and had compassion on us. And guess what he did? He came. He came to us. And what did he do? He wrapped up our wounds. Gave his blood to cleanse our sins. He paid the penalty for us. He paid the debt and said, if you need any more, there's lots more where that came from. And so you might be asking yourself, what in the world does this have to do with reaching out? Listen, when you realize who you are, you roll over to the next half dead person and you say, hey, buddy, that guy right there just helped me. And you roll over to the next half dead person and you say, hey, buddy, that guy right there helped me. I got nothing, I can't do anything. I was just like you. I was beaten, bruised, half dead. I had everything taken from me. But, Jesus Christ, here's the problem as we think now that we have Jesus Christ, I'm better than you. I got all the answers. I'm good. So, hear me. This is a problem of the chest. This is a problem of the chest. We have to talk about problems of the mind. We have to talk about problems of the heart. Hear me, this is a problem of the chest. Why? Because we do this. We start sticking our chest out and strutting like we got something. We got it all figured out. I'm religious. I've been in church my whole life. I'm this. I'm that. I'm the other thing. Listen, no, you're not. You're a dead, filthy, beaten up old sinner who Jesus came and helped. Jesus gave up everything. He put aside his rights. He put aside his hatred. He put aside his riches to save us. Jesus did that for you. Jesus had compassion on you. So if we are going to become less pious and more compassionate, we just need to remember who we are in the story. Don't make yourself somebody better than you are. Who are we in the story? We are the beaten up, Simply, let me put it this way, we're the deadbeat. We are simply one deadbeat showing another deadbeat who can save them too. And the moment we forget that is the moment we forget who our neighbor is. So let me encourage you this morning. Our neighbor is anyone who needs the mercy of God. I want you to look in verse 36. Jesus asked, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. And said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. I encourage you this morning, it's very simple reaching out. Not, not because we have something to offer but because we know the person who has something to offer. We, listen, we don't want people to join Bible Baptist Church. That's not the goal. The goal is not to build a kingdom for Bible Baptist Church or for Johnny Yeomans and look, look at how wonderful he is or look at how wonderful this church is, ain't Wrong. goal well, is to reach out. Get outside of ourselves and say, listen, who needs help? Who needs the mercy of God? I just want to introduce them. My challenge is simple. Reach out. Reach out regardless of status. Reach out regardless of anything. And reach out and show them the one who saved you. No more internal focus. Reach out. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for all you do for us. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning to reach out. Help us to remember who we are. I'm so thankful for your word who constantly reminds us of that because we get so distracted. We get so caught up in, well, I made this decision and now everybody should be like me. and Forget. Forget who our neighbor is. Father, please remind us constantly who our neighbor is. Help us to see them as you see them, and help us to reach out. And we'll give you the praise and honor and glory for it. Father, the only way we can do this is because you gave your life for us. The only reason we are not half dead anymore is because of your shed blood. And Father, if there's one listening here today that doesn't know you, they they don't know Jesus Christ, they, they don't know what you've done for them, Father, I pray that today they would know that. We would love to be able to help them with that. Father, I pray that your will is accomplished here today. We pray all these things in your name. I ask you just to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed.